Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast, your one-stop shop for weekend messages. I'm Andy, and I'm just here to say welcome and ask you to take a second to fill out a connection card. We love to know who's joining us, and we want an opportunity to connect with you. Well, without further ado, let's join Jeff Griffin out in the woods in week three of The Table. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Compass Church and our series called The Table. You know, last week I didn't preach, which enabled me to get down to our South Naperville campus and greet so many of you. That was a lot of fun. And I got over to Bolingbrook. Love all of you as well. In this moment, I want to say hi to our Three Rivers campus, as well as Naperville, Wheaton, online, and all my friends at the Sheridan Prison. So, so grateful for you. You ready to dive back into the table? Friends, in this series, what are we doing? We're looking at Jesus dining with people who are far from God. Christ had a way of loving on the spiritually lost. And we're learning how to be like Jesus, how to befriend and guide people who are trying to find the point of life, help them find reconciliation with their maker through Jesus Christ, which is the whole point of existence. So, you ready to dive back in? Well, today we're going to be studying out of Luke chapter 19. I'm going to start here with verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. That's interesting. Just passing through Jericho. Turns out that Jericho is on a path. A road that leads from Galilee, where Jesus did a lot of ministry. You got to go through Jericho if you want to get to Jerusalem. And so Jesus traveled that path many times, including in this moment. Now, Jericho was a fascinating, is a fascinating city. Do you know that of the millions of cities in the world, Jericho holds the record in two categories. Jericho is the oldest city in the world. The oldest continually habitated city in the world is Jericho. It's also number one in the lowest city in the world. It's in this valley, the Jordan River Valley, that's below sea level. In fact, the city lies at 850 feet below sea level. What a unique place. Isn't that wild? Well, Jericho was also wealthy in Jesus's day. It's kind of a desert oasis. That valley is very desert-like, but the springs at Jericho created being a lush palms and trees and just a place that the, the wealthy would want to live. Speaking of wealthy, let's read about a wealthy man Jesus met. In verse 2, it says this, A man was there, that's in Jericho, by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He was a chief tax collector. You know, last week we learned about tax collectors. One of Jesus' disciples, this Matthew, otherwise known as Levi, he was a tax collector, and tax collectors were hated because they were Jews who had sold out. You know, the Romans were ruling the land at the time, and the Romans taxed the Jews by hiring Jews to collect taxes from their people. 
And so tax collectors were despised and a chief tax collector, remember uh, this Zacchaeus was the boss of the tax collectors. He would have had a whole staff of guys working for him. He would have been hated at the highest level. Well, let's take a look what happens to this guy. It says in verse 3 that he, the Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, (laughs) this notion of him being a wee little man makes me always think of Danny DeVito when I think of Zacchaeus. I don't know, I just do. But it says he could not see over the crowd. And so, being pretty smart, he ran ahead and he climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Isn't that fascinating? This Zacchaeus says, I want to see Jesus. If I can't see over the crowd, I'll figure out a way. And he found a tree and he climbed it. This is terrifying. Friends, when I was a kid, I used to love climbing trees. Haven't done it in a few decades. I think that's the point I want to make. Climbing trees is no task for a grown man. If you will, I've just done a scientific experiment that helps us understand the scriptures better. Zacchaeus, a grown man, to climb up in a tree, he had to want to see Jesus bad. Not only was he risking danger, he was looking silly. You know, to see a grown man in a tree, he looks like a fool. And yet Zacchaeus said, I don't care about danger or looking bad. I just want to see Jesus. Friends, as it turns out, this decision of this man to climb a tree is profound. It's going to tell us a couple things about him, about his heart, about his story. And so with a desire to understand Zacchaeus better, let's turn to the scriptures. It says in Luke 19, let's go back to verse 4. It says, so Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he he looked up, that is in the tree, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he, Zacchaeus, came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. Now, all the people saw this and they began to mutter, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Well, Jesus said to him, today, Salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, now Christ is talking about himself. He says, for I came to seek and save the lost. What a story. Friends, it turns out that Jesus knew just how to reach Zacchaeus. He understood his heart. And as we grow to understand the heart of of our friend. We'll learn from the example of Jesus how to reach our friend around the table.
<laughs> I, I, you know, it's good to be out of that tree. I'll tell you what, I don't want to preach the whole sermon there. You know, feet on the ground, stable chair, I'm doing well now. Friends, I want to make this observation about Zacchaeus. And that is that he had come to a place in his life where he just didn't care what people thought of him. In fact, I see it displayed twice, his lack of concern of his reputation. Uh, Back in verses 2 through 4, he was a chief tax collector. Let's highlight that. Uh, Friends, nobody went into tax collecting unless they were ready for everybody to hate them. Most people were concerned enough about what people would think that they would avoid that career path, but not Zacchaeus. And the other one there, you see where it says that he climbed a sycamore fig tree. Let's highlight that. It turns out that both the decision to become a tax collector and his willingness to climb a tree in front of a crowded area just shows that this guy had given up on looking good in the eyes of others. Uh, You know, it's fun to speculate. Well, let's do that now, shall we? You know, maybe when he was young, he was rejected by his peers. And he just said, you know what, fooey, if if people don't like me, I guess that's what I'm going to have to live with. Maybe it was because he was short. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, if you're not physically, uh, you know, uh, impressive, you know, you would struggle to do well socially. Uh, You ever heard of the Napoleon complex? You know, sometimes it's been seen that with some short people, their insecurity fuels ambition and drive. Uh, Interestingly, think of Stalin. These are all political leaders under 5'6". Stalin, Putin, Mussolini, Churchill, Kim Jong-un. Well, friends, here's the deal. We're, We're all dealing with the Napoleon complex. Really, we are. We've all got areas of insecurity that can fuel ambition, our effort to try to make up for we feel we're weak in order to prove something, that we matter. I think of a kid who's not good at academics, so he becomes the class clown to have a place in the class, in the world. Or I think of someone who's not good at athletics, and so they get into music and strive to perfect their instrument to, again, prove something. This notion of recognizing inadequacy and letting that uh, fuel ambition and drive, it's a common dynamic, and I think we can see it in Zacchaeus. He's like, you know what? If I'm not going to be well-liked by people, so be- in Zacchaeus's case, he says, I'm actually going to use my disregard for admiration to get advantage. The fact that I don't care anymore, I, I can't get people like me, so they don't like me, so I'm going to use my disregard for concern about what people think of me by pursuing a job in tax collecting, a job no one else will take, and I'll get rich. Or climbing the tree to see Jesus. I, I don't care anymore. Isn't that fascinating? And so, friends, uh, we all deal with a sense of inadequacy, and we are ambitious in trying to pursue something that will fill that void. You know what's been called a God-shaped hole? Have you ever heard of that? A God-shaped hole, that's where inside you recognize a void, something's missing, something's inadequate. And we try to fill it with other things when, in fact, that void is meant to be filled by God. You know, I I would use this simple toy, a little toddler toy, 
you know, you've seen it before, different shaped holes, different shaped pegs. Well, you can try to take a square peg and put it in a round hole and it doesn't work. Well, the kid learns, ah, the, the square shaped hole, that's where it works. And as, as basic as the toy is, ironically, it points to a very profound truth about humanity and God. That we're all inadequate. We've all got a hole. And though you can have ambitious desires to pursue things, success, that hole was meant to be filled by God himself. Let me show you some quotes. I, I, uh, you know, just to build the case about the God-shaped hole. Pascal, Blaise Pascal, who was this brilliant scientist back in the 1600s, he said this, There is a God-shaped void in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God. Friendship with God, Pascal said. It's, it's the only thing that will make the human heart whole. Or Augustine, this goes back even further, back to the 400s AD. Uh, he was a famed philosopher, playboy really, who was off, you know, sleeping around partying until he, in his 30s, he came to faith in Christ. He said this, you have made us, speaking to the Lord, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Same theme. Or C.S. Lewis, the Oxford Cambridge professor and esteemed author, he writes, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Meaning, if all the things of this life are not fitting that void, well, then maybe the things of this life were not meant to fill that void. But God, the ultimate spiritual reality is what we're missing. Even... Bertrand Russell, who was an atheist, actually wrote against Christianity, famed philosopher, in fact, taught at the University of Chicago for a time. He, in one of his letters to a girlfriend, uh, Bertrand Russell had a lot of loves in his life, was married four times, divorced three, and he had uh, mistresses along the way. Well, one of his mistresses, he wrote a letter and was fairly transparent in it. He said this, in the center of me is always a terrible and wild pain, a searching for something beyond what the world contains. Isn't that interesting? He sadly concluded it's not God, but we know it is. We were made by God, for God. And with, without him, there is a void in our lives. He made us that way so that we'd feel the ache. And that we would strive with ambitious pursuit until we find satisfaction in him. I think that that was going on in Zacchaeus. He felt this emptiness and he pursued something that would fill it. Friends, as we go back to the text, we can learn more about Zacchaeus's journey to fill the ache within. I'm going to verses 2 and 3 again. It simply says, he was a chief tax collector and was very wealthy, yet he wanted to see who Jesus was. I, I, I read that because the juxtaposition there is meaningful. In one sense, he thought, I'm going to go after wealth and career success, power, and he got it. 
Yet his longing to see who Jesus was tells us something. It tells us that, that, that what he got was not fitting the void. Uh, friends, it turns out that he was still looking. That's why he, when he heard about Jesus, he heard about this guy who had a tax collector, one of his own, as a disciple. This Jesus who had taught about a grace, uh, a love of God for sinners like him, he had heard this and he had said, maybe that's what I need. Apparently, all the success and the wealth that he had in his career was not making him content. He was still seeking. And, and that's important for us to know because the truth is everything other than God is a mirage. You know what a mirage is, right? If you're out in the desert and you're so thirsty and it'll look like an oasis and you'll run to it thinking you're going to drink deep of water, but you get there and you realize it's just sand. It, it was a lie. It promised much, delivered nothing. And so it is with this life that there are lies everywhere. Things that promise to fill that void within, but they just don't. Uh, interestingly, we, we see that in Zacchaeus because he's still seeking even though he's achieved wealth. We see it in what Pascal said. Here's another Pascal quote. He said, man tries in vain to fill the inner void with everything around him, though nothing else can help since the abyss can be filled only with God himself. Do you see that? Trying to fill it with other things is an exercise in futility. Or here's a verse from Jeremiah, the Old Testament, where God says, essentially, warns us of mirages, if you will. God says, they have turned away from me, the spring of living water, and they have dug broken wells that cannot hold water. You see what God's saying? That, that, that thirst within God says, no, that thirst within is to be found in me. Friendship with your maker. Feeling, experiencing the perpetual love of God for us. That's what we need. But God says, they've tried to dig broken wells. They're hoping will fill that thirst. But they leak. They don't work. Friends, the truth is the only thing that fulfills us is God. Well, let's see what Jesus does uh, with this knowledge of Zacchaeus and his God-sized hole in his heart. It says in verse 5, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. When Jesus comes to the spot and looks up in the tree and sees this man in a tree, Jesus says, oh, I know his emptiness story. Well, in part, Jesus could see how desperate he was to climb a tree to see him. But Jesus has knowledge, supernatural knowledge. That's why he knows his name when he calls him Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is like, how does this guy know? We never met. How does he know my name? Jesus can peer right into his heart and has divine knowledge of Zacchaeus and his journey. And Christ, with that knowledge of his emptiness... He has, Jesus has a very specific approach, a way to address that emptiness. He knows that this Zacchaeus has been deserted by others. He has no friends. Nobody likes him. Jesus said, I'm the one that can fill that void. Well, how do we know that? Well, Jesus, three things actually in that passage. Can we highlight them now? It says, when he reached that spot, he looked up. 
he looked at Zacchaeus, essentially saying, I see you. No one else seen him. Everyone else looked the other way. Jesus looked right into his eyes. Let's highlight Zacchaeus again. Nobody knew him. Jesus says, though we've never met, I know your name. I know you. And then Jesus, let's highlight, I must stay. Nobody wanted to hang out with Zacchaeus, but Jesus said, I'm not, I'm thinking of staying at your house. Not that'd be nice. I must stay with you. Isn't that fascinating? Zacchaeus had never experienced someone who looks at him, who knows him, who wants to be his friend. But Jesus said, you may be a friendless man, but I want to be your friend. In other words, the void you feel, Zacchaeus, I will fill that. Isn't that fascinating? Christ knows the story of his emptiness, and Christ approaches and addresses how he can fulfill that emptiness. That's really important when it comes to us helping our friends who are far from God. We can follow the example of Jesus and we can know or learn their particular ache, their emptiness, their void. And we can help address that, help them see that Jesus can fill that void. And you say, how can we do that? Well, do you remember our pearl strategy? Let me just remind you. Pray for them. Find someone, somebody you love who's far from God. Start praying for their salvation. Eat with them, build friendship over food. Ask questions. Here, while you're sharing a meal, ask questions about them. And if you ask questions about their family, their career, their hobbies, you will most likely begin to understand the nature of their whole. What do they long for? What do they believe will fulfill them? What are they pursuing? And that knowledge is is very helpful. First of all, it honors them to be interested in inner things. But it's also helpful as you point to Jesus. What's next after the ask? Reveal. Reveal your story. Here's where you can start to share that Jesus is the solution to what you're looking for. How do you do that in your reveal story? Well, you tell about your own ache, your own God-shaped whole, and how you discovered that the Lord was what you were looking for. And then you can also share, you know, you know, maybe they crave wealth. And maybe you could say, you know, I used to desire so much to be successful, to have it all. But I, I have found that knowing God has satisfied that desire to be significant. In other words, what you're sh- saying with them is I understand your desire and my experience is Jesus satisfies what you desire. That's a powerful thing for you to reveal to them. Maybe they don't buy it right away, but it'll make them think Jesus satisfies what you desire. Jesus is the solution to what you long for. Ah, Well, friends, uh, I, I want to, and it says love is the last part of Pearl, love them tangibly. Can I for a minute go back to eat? I want to, here at the end, make a challenge. Uh, friends, I challenge you to start pursuing your Pearl and setting up times to eat with them. Build a friendship with people far from God. Just yesterday, I was talking with a friend of mine, and he was inspired by last week's sermon. And he and his wife, this week, they had a bunch of neighbors over for dinner, and they said it was fantastic. 
They enjoyed it. The neighbors enjoyed it. Friendship is born. I do the, the eat now. I'll tell you why. In three months, we're going to have a series called He Gets Us. Maybe you've seen the advertising about a He Gets Us theme. It's about Jesus and how he knows where we're at and he understands and can help address the needs, practical needs in our lives. Well, He Gets Us is like a billion dollar advertising campaign. And in February, right after the Super Bowl, by the way, the Super Bowl is going to have a whole bunch of He Gets Us commercials. We're going to start a series called He Gets Us. We're going to use all that free advertising for us. How's that sound? And when we have that series in February, it will be targeted towards spiritual seekers. It'll be designed for your friend. So you'll want to invite them to church at that time. And you, you may say, well, if I'm going to invite them in February, I got three months to invite them to meals and build that friendship so they're more likely to come to He Gets Us when that great series rolls around. So my challenge to you. Friends, with this hole in the heart thing, I just, I'll close with an illustration. My wife uh, had a friend who was not a believer and she introduced me to her friend and her friend's husband. I struck up a friendship with the friend's husband. And he and I went and had meals together, breakfast actually. And as the friendship was born, he confided in me that his dad has never loved him like a dad should love him. He had a craving for fatherly love. And I, was, I had a great earthly father, but I was able to say more than my earthly father, the heavenly father, his love has changed my life. Well, hearing about that possible solution, that new friend trusted Christ. I was able to pray with him and he soared with the Lord, experiencing what he had been looking for all his life, finding it in God. Friends, this works. May you address the God-shaped hole in your own heart. And may you help your friends do the same. Will you pray with me? God, we are grateful that Christ understood what was going on in Zacchaeus and met him right where he cried for fulfillment. Would you help us do the same, Lord? We thank you that you've made us all, even our friends, with God-shaped holes. Would you help us help them find joy beyond imagine in you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you feel challenged and encouraged by this message. Don't forget to join us next week for the conclusion of this table series. We've got one more great passage of Jesus eating with his friends. Hope to see you then here at the Compass Church Podcast.